few years ago i barely knew anyone who put a lot of thought into their health and their well-being well after almost 3 years of covid i think that has very much changed almost everyone i know now is like cycling or going to the gym or using the time that they've got back from working from home to try and take care of themselves and this extends to not just working out but also eating healthy living healthy maybe sleeping at the right time things like that so clearly this has now created the space for a number of wellness related businesses to flourish who might have struggled maybe 10 years ago when people weren't really that to their own health and well-being so today we are speaking with anand kurma of wellversed he's a two-time entrepreneur in the wellness space and he's going to tell us about how he's made it in this space because he's had one successful exit before this and how he's seeing it evolve over the last 3 years or maybe the last few years the discussion today is also a little bit different because wellvest is actually a company that has received some funding which is very different from many of our other guests who are bootstrap but before we begin a couple of quick requests please do follow shop talk to ensure you don't miss out on other such great conversations in future and also do bookmark crazytalk.online to get episode transcripts and to join our new online community where you can interact with hosts and guests of our episodes and also catch up on summaries of all of our past episodes so with that said anand thank you so much for joining us today maybe before we start you could tell us a little bit about yourself your journey so far and also about wellvest great thanks so much thanks a lot for having me you know actually you mentioned that i'm a two time entrepreneur the fact is that i'm a three time entrepreneur wow and i started my first company back in 2011 and okay. incidentally that company was in the space of infection prevention and control with covid coming in that has become a huge huge space but i think at that point we were too early to the market yeah. although we did we, we did raise i think 150 or 200k from microsoft and the company was actually based in israel and you know we were we were working out of there but we didn't get a lot of commercial success and we had to find that up you know those things that have as an entrepreneur right i mean starting something that's before its time that's really unfortunate and i had this experience with my first startup 10 years ago as well and it's just one of those things but i guess you learned something from that experience which you're able to use later on as well i think it's about reading the market and reading the signals and you can be all passionate that you want to be but it's about timing and i think now we have a lot of people talking about success in terms of the timing of the venture and why it is the most critical factor so i, I think it's about reading the timing mm-hmm. of when you launch something that being said so i started my first company in 2010 2011 and post that i have been in the space of healthcare and wellness but what really got me into the wellness space to start with start with was a very very personal quest and it it originated from a very philosophical thought where i got obsessed with the thought that eventually any human being or any consciousness it has to come to an end and that for me itself was very disturbing because i thought that it's kind of an unfair arrangement where we weren't asked that you are being brought into this world but your exit is predetermined right <laughs> and <laughs> that's how i became obsessed with what people are doing with longevity what people are doing with wellness can there be a time when we can eventually exist perpetually can we transfer our consciousness onto artificial machines or can we have biotechnology which can extend radically our lifespan and things like that 
So I started discovering a lot of people like Dimitri Scope in Russia, and even Google acquired a startup called Calico that is working on radical life right. extension. Rake is being headed by Raker as well, and things like that. So I, I saw that a lot of people are working towards it, but I think the first step is to uh, eventually not succumb to lifestyle conditions and lose to things which are easily preventable. And that's how I got into wellness in 2012, 13. And you know, I radically experimented with a lot of different regimes. I got into the Japanese anti-aging technique, <laughs> Korean anti-aging skin science, and things like that. Ayurveda, obviously, like a lot of that, right? So I won't say that I was formally trained at that point of time. Like in the next subsequent eight to ten years, I have I have done certain certification and all that. But at that point of time, it was devouring any and all information related to wellness and how to kind of live up to 120 years of age. So human body is typically designed to live up to 120 years of age, which is called the Hayflix limit beyond which. Our cells cannot, you know, reproduce and all. So I thought that if we are capable of living up to 120 years of age, we have to create products and we have to create an environment and an ecosystem that enables us to do that. And that's how it all started in 2012, 2013. This was the time when Amazon was just entering the Indian market. We didn't have Zomato, Swiggy. We didn't have delivery ecosystem and all that. And this was the point when I launched my first FMCG brand. It was called Fine Superfood. You know, experimented for a couple of years. The growth was very slow in the initial years because we were just selling via WhatsApp or taking direct orders from website. So I would say we were very, very early to the D2C ecosystem where we right. were selling a single product directly via WhatsApp or the, our own website. And our own website also used to take orders from someone used to click order now and the order used to fall on WhatsApp and things like that. So it was very primitive thing, right? We started with that. But we managed to scale it a little. We, I think, we got to around 20 lakhs P of sales per month, and this was a perishable product. It had a 15-18 day shelf life. So the distribution ecosystem was something that we were not well versed with at all. We didn't understand distribution, and uh, we had incumbent giants blocking the distribution to modern trade, uh, general trade, and things like that. Obviously, the product wasn't suitable for general trade as it is. So we scaled it to a certain level, and then we collaborated with a brand called Satsiko, which has now become an FMCG brand. But in their earlier days, they had restaurant outlets, right? So they had around 25 outlets across India, and we used them as distribution point. Eventually, they acquired the company, and that's how it all started. And that's when I knew that I have to be in this space because wellness is not about selling a single product. Or creating a single brand, it has to be holistic approach. It has to impact each and every aspect of your life, and it has to impact it in a way where it does not demand you to change your behavior because people will never change. And maybe one percent of the population will change, but holistically, if you have to bring about a change in wellness, you have to do things which don't require a behavior change. And typical example: so I am a trained classical musician, and what I see is that classical music, after being Such a refined form of art being such a great thing, its adoption is very very low, right? And that is exactly linked to behavior. You cannot even if something is as great as let's say classical music, you cannot expect it to be adopted by the general population. Mm. So wellness has to be impacted as a holistic ecosystem, and we have to create products that immediately get sucked into the behavior. And that was the learning from the first startup. And while I was exploring other ideas, I joined. Health Card, One MGI. I worked with other companies and learned a lot of great things. I think these were these companies were founded by people who were, let's say, seven to eight years senior to us, and they had a lot to teach us in terms of how to identify the right markets because they started their companies in a time when consumer ad- adoption was not that high. 
and you really had to be right about what consumer would actually need right now what's happening is consumer behavior has evolved a lot where consumers would want to experiment with a lot of different things even if repeat purchases don't exist but at least they'll try something for the first time things like that so i think these entrepreneurs had a lot to teach us and just to name them prashant tandon was there gaurav agarwal manan khurma who's also my brother so these people had a lot to teach us in terms of how to read the market right and things like that and you know that was the mindset that we started with but all this while the core thought process was the same that how do we maximize human wellness in a way that does not require behavior change and yeah. that's how wellburst came to be we knew that we eventually have to create a conglomerate of brand whether we create all these brand ourselves or whether we use an accelerated model stuff like that so i think that's what the journey has been so far right so actually there's a number of things in there that i think worth uh, discussing a bit more so one is it's interesting how you have stepped into what could be an extremely difficult space because uh, like you mentioned the companies that are working on human life expansion and maybe longer healthier living that kind of stuff those are deep technology companies very well funded and they will also take forever to come up with some sort of outcomes but i think you are approaching it from the point of view of a long healthy life starts from living well today and so therefore what can you do to live well overall which is a easier entry point than saying okay i'm now going to do cell engineering to make people live longer that kind of thing i think that's an interesting piece of insight in itself which is you can take difficult problems and start with the simpler aspect of that difficult problem before you kind of evolve into something bigger the other thing is i'm curious about your previous business so you were able to sell out to a different brand so how was that experience briefly like what attracted them to acquire your brand and then uh, are there any learnings you got from there so the collaboration with satviko started out as a very simple distribution exercise where we were using one of the restaurant outlets to distribute our products and i think at that point the uptake of the product became pretty high i compared to other fmcg products that they were trying to push via their restaurant outlets and i think that is what piqued their interest along with our discussions around the fact that uh, understanding of distribution at that point of time and there was a certain degree of frustration around that how will we actually scale this to a larger levels given mm-hmm. you know incumbent players and given when it comes to taste in the mass audience and i think that is how that whole discussion started and prasoon basically saw some degree of value in acquiring the brand to add gmb to their own brand obviously i think a year or 18 months later they pivoted from their restaurant business which was unfortunate for our brand but at that point of time i think it seemed uh, the future of the brand seemed pretty bright to me because i thought that if we are let's say able to reach a one cr per month kind of a sale via these 25 outlets we can easily do a crack b2b2c model via this product here but otherwise also i think the brand was reasonably successful because you mentioned something like 20 lakh rupees per month which yeah. would be 2 and a half crore rupees a year which so, in today's uh, world would uh, be about 300000 us so 300000 you and actually back then the rupee was a little bit stronger so maybe 400000 us at the time which is a fairly decent place to have achieved quite early i think in 2 years or so so yeah. the whole story of that brand was we didn't very strongly i won't say that it was the best of the branding because the product came out of a personal need and we just really wanted people to use that product you know that was the driving factor and it was not that we were sitting in boardrooms and decide 
marketing what the branding would be what the messaging would be it was just about getting the product out there mm. so i think from that perspective we had reached a decent revenue level but given to what d2c brands are able to achieve in the early days right now given all these channels like instamart and zepto i won't say zepto but let's say instamart and you know amazon and you know amazon retail i think 20 lakhs is not that much in hindsight <laughs> right okay no fair enough but i mean that's still the fact is you got it started you took it to some level and i think that is commendable in itself so tell me more about your current business wellverse so i think you mentioned something about accelerating brands and so on so i understand that you are in the business of trying to make people live better but how does the business actually work how do you create brands or how do you acquire them things like that so essentially wellverse is an accelerator operator of wellness brands and our modus operandi is to identify genuine wellness brands in the early stages when i say early stages it's like when they are at a sales of about 5 lakh rupees a month of sort and typically we take over their sales channels and we accelerate their sales across all the 25 major e-commerce channels in india and in some of these brands we do invest as revenue based financing or as equity finance and going forward the way the model is evolving is not a complete acquisition of this brand but partial acquisition of this brand so essentially model is very very similar to what thrasio or heyday seller experts and all these players are doing but the only difference is that we don't want to be an operator of, of e-commerce brands right so in order to back and create a house of genuine wellness brands we need to have the entrepreneurs skin in the game and that okay. is why we leave the entrepreneurs majority of entrepreneurs take in the company because he is the one who will drive the messaging and the genuineness of the wellness products that he is trying to create right so obviously the model seems on the surface very similar to thrasio where we identify brands we invest in them we accelerate them across e-commerce channel but the core is very very different we leave the kernel to the founder and we want genuineness to flow into the wellness brand because that is what will maximize human wellness and that is what wellness is all about okay so there's an interesting angle over here which is you're working with other entrepreneurs but you're leaving them to do their own thing it's not a full acquisition kind of a model and this is an alternate way of partnership almost which is you provide a set of skills that you have which is the ability to scale i guess sales across all of these channels and they focus on the product which is really their something that they may be more passionate about would that be correct. a fair assessment correct so just to go deeper into this in order to build any wellness brands there are two parts to it the first part is what we call the structural engineering of the brand so structural engineering is everything that is standardized to running a brand which is you know how will you warehouse the product how will you optimize that how will you deliver the product where will you list the product are the listing opti- optimized or not are the ad campaigns running or not so this is the structural engineering of the product and typically new d2c entrepreneur take around 2 to 2.5 years to reach a stage where they are able to optimize all the structural parts of the brand right so when we partner with brands in early stage they are able to optimize this structural part within 6 months as opposed to 2.5 years right uh-huh. so that is the first part the second part is the core ethos part of the brand which is what the messaging is what is the problem they are solving and what is the product they are creating to solve that problem so we leave and this this part is what we call as the soul engineering of the brand 
so the sole engineering we leave it to the founder and the structural engineering we take over because it hyper accelerates their journey of 2.5 to 3 years and it compresses into 6 months so this is what we do okay okay very interesting actually and there's clearly value to both sides i mean so, you're you're aggregating so many brands which otherwise you'd have to invent all of them and they are getting a speed to market and scale which they wouldn't get so easily by themselves correct okay got it so now i understand you know this whole accelerator angle over here so tell me a little bit about me mentioned earlier about behavior change and how that is difficult and so on that's a really important point because there are many businesses where the entrepreneur needs the person to do something different to get the full value of the product but people don't normally want to change and that's why many businesses end up failing what's your thought process around not changing behavior and still trying to get value for yourself so typically i will start this answer with an anecdote where we were having uh, you know lunch with someone and i think it was one of my team members went out for a smoke and the person who was sitting across the table he was saying that you run a wellness company and one of your team members smokes so this is against your ethos right so i said this is actually not against your ethos the only thing that is against our ethos is that we haven't till now invented a cigarette that does not harm you i think essentially the kind of products we create and the kind of brands we accelerate are products that do not ask people to change their behavior because what we feel is that long life in itself is not just a justified end right you have to have entertainment you have to have an enjoyable life as well so we just don't want to have a life where you are confined to a room being exposed to anything and you have a long life there's no point of that and <laughs> you know there's an interesting saying that when you don't smoke you don't drink and you don't party you don't have a long life it just seems like your life is longer <laughs> so we don't want to enable lifestyles which just seem longer they should actually be longer they should be full of experiences so i think essentially anything and everything that we create is viewed at wellness from that lens that whether we are trying to ask people to change their behavior or not and i think i am not not saying that we are the only ones that do that typically brands which have been successful have inadvertently created products which do not ask people to change their behavior impossible beyond meat and all these people are essentially doing what uh, our ethos is right so this is the crux of it also This is a really good actually your examples of impossible and beyond are fantastic because they didn't set out to say let's make tofu taste better so that more people will eat it they set out to say how can i make beef tasting things but which are actually good for you and okay. approached it from that point of view which required a lot of obviously work and engineering much more than making tofu taste a little bit better but look how that has worked out yeah. and they are exactly right i think for many of these kinds of things the right approach is to take this more difficult approach to say if you want to influence large numbers of people you have to do it in a way that they are already doing that's a really good insight and very good example also so thanks for that okay so let's talk a little bit about how you got started this time round so you did mention that you help accelerate brands on 25 different e-commerce platforms so is that how you got started like on these e-commerce platforms like amazon Actually, with Wellvest also, we didn't start upfront with accelerating brands. In early 2018, we created a couple of our own brands. So we created a brand for snacking healthy. It was called Unsnack. It's still out there in the market. And then we created a brand called Ketofy, which is right now the largest keto brand in India. And wow. the way way we came about it was again we looked into the behavior of people and we tried to understand. 
what is the dire need within the fitness wellness space and obviously like weight loss and diabetes and all these things bubble up to the top when you do a need analysis in the fitness wellness space and what we saw was that a lot of people are working towards this limiting information don't eat that don't do this don't do that and we wanted to remove this word don't we we wanted to say do this and what we were seeing nutritionists do was if you want to do weight loss stop eating this stop eating that or, or if you want to reverse diabetes you need to stop eating basic things like rice and protein and things like that so initially when we were brainstorming on how to build wellverse we were also you know slightly heavier towards information but eventually that ethos of not demanding people to change their behavior flowed in and we ended up creating our own brands and ketofy particularly was a brand that simplified or enabled people to go on a low carb paradigm without having to change their ingrained habit and indian food by default is very high on carb everything we eat from rice roti all our staples even yeah. all our sabzis are full of carb and if you're asking an indian person to right. leave carb it's not going to work so eventually we had to do certain degree of food technology engineering to create these products because no manufacturer was willing to manufacture the kind of products that were creating and i can say this with a thousand degree thousand percent confidence that there was nothing known as ultra low carb flour before we launched it in early 2018 and everything that you see on amazon and even in the us because flour was not a dire need within the us market right because doing a ketogenic or a low carb lifestyle is very easy for yeah, meat eating right. population so there was nothing known as a keto bhujia or a, a keto flour or things like that right. so we were the first ones to do that and it got sucked in so quickly that we scaled with ketofy to 30 lakhs rupees of sales without even having our own website we didn't have our own website we were just selling five to six sku's on amazon even not even on any other channel and this is the process that we have been trying to replicate with other brands now what we realized was so every company has two to three strategic visions obviously the strategic vision of maximizing human wellness is there and that can only be achieved by, through multiple brands we cannot club let's say fitness equipment and fitness food under the same umbrella so obviously we have to have a conglomerate of multiple brands and then on top of that you have a superimposed tactical vision of not having people to change their behavior so that's how i think we arrived at the accelerator structure and right now we are accelerating around 25 brands which are spread across six to seven domains of wellness which include obviously functional food and supplements we are masters of that then you have fitness equipment skin care hair care stuff like that right so actually couple of questions over here one is so you started with something which was a unique product and that was able to grow to like you said 30 lakh rupees a month even without a website which is quite cool you managed to do this with one product and because you had all of the science and stuff behind it but is that actually possible with so many brands like on what basis are you looking for these new brands because they won't have this kind of secret sauce which is like a completely new product offering right no so typically we see that there are two kind of brands one are brands which are trying to create an emotional niche within a certain set of people and these are brands like let's say rage coffee sleepy owl and these are people who are creating the same products but with with a different emotional anchoring that let's say certain segments of gen z's or millennials relate to that's how they are creating the brand so creating those kind of brands is a very different ball game where i won't suggest that you can typically start you have to create the brand story first and these are very brand story heavy brands and obviously no brand can be built without a story but 
these brands start with the story because the product is a commodity product and it's it's not a product that is solving a new need and typically within the accelerator model we try to gravitate towards brands that are uh, unique or products that they are creating do not exist in the past and typically what we try to tell this brand is that don't create your website first because your story and your website and your ethos will get sculpted as you get exposed to the market and as you decide how you want to scale within the mass market because this is not a coffee this is not just a normal wheat flour that you're trying to create this is this is something a newer way of doing uh, the same thing stuff like that this is the whole mvp minimum viable product approach that whatever tech companies champion but you're doing that actually with fmcg or the food kind of sector which is to say don't worry about all the ancillary stuff just get your product to market in the easiest possible way which is these platform and then as you do it the sales itself will tell you whether first of all the product is there is worth it or not and whether your messaging is resonating and you keep tweaking over there until you find your brand story and then you make whatever you want after that you know typically we try to gauge the repeat rates and especially i won't say this about the other e-commerce channels but amazon has a very evolved structure in terms of providing metrics they won't give you phone numbers of users but there are ways to track repeat rates of of all sku's that you are selling and what we try to tell these early stage entrepreneurs is get your product out there and monitor the repeat rate mm-hmm. because that is where your brand is going to be built and that is how your messaging needs to be molded okay interesting so i think two things you're saying here one is that you should use whatever data is available to you don't just throw it there and just track sales but that and also the second point is within that the repeat rate is the main metric that you're concerned about because obviously if people are buying it again that means there's something good that's happening over there because there are only two things right if the person has bought your product once then the need exists if the person has bought your product multiple times then the your product is good and those are the only two ways to crack a brand extremely nice way of explaining <laughs> this anand i think this is the kind of simplicity that a lot of people may not be able to realize by themselves so i think that's very neat and it's a very good way of operating on these platforms as well because this is basically what you're going to get from there anyway Correct. speaking of platforms you obviously started on these platforms in 2018 which was 4 years back and i'm sure you've evolved over time so what are some of the let's say the secrets you've learned to doing well on all of these platforms amazon snapdeal any of these i won't say there are secrets because everything is out there but i can just share some of the, the things that we have learned so all these platforms operate in a similar fashion to the way uh, adwords would operate or search engines would operate so you have to have very different mindsets when you think of marketing on social channels versus marketing on these channels so you have to club search engines and product search platforms in the same category oh. because you will use the same tactical strategies for all of these and then a very different tactical strategy for you know social media because social media is about people stumbling upon products based on their interest and then gauging what the engagement interaction has been whereas on product or e-commerce channels you have to capture a portion of the search intent and you want that capturing to be 100% so i think from a tactical perspective that mindset needs to be there that you have to operate totally from a search keyword perspective and this is where a lot of people or early stage entrepreneurs make mistake because they try to create 
brand ethos on the search channel whereas on the search channels you have to capture the search intent which is very functional in nature right, right. so for example if if let's going back to the example of ketofy so ketofy the brand ethos is fitness food right but i cannot build the entire my search strategy on amazon around fitness food because that is not what the user will be searching for the user will be searching for keto atta let's say you have to think from that perspective and a very executional perspective when you think about these channels and when you think on social channels then you do a lot of things around fitness food why sugar is bad and think very broad of things things like that so i think for the ceo or the founder wearing this hat is very very important don't try to push your brand ideology on the search channels immediately i think that's great now with search in let's say the traditional search which is google and stuff it takes months to build up a search profile good enough so that you start seeing a lot of visitors and stuff on the platforms is it similar or do you immediately see results if you optimize for the search so so there are two parts to it right again uh, all search efforts are bifurcated into organic and inorganic so organic takes time to build where the fundamental principles are the same whether you are incorporating keywords or not whether your content is of high quality or not your images are of high quality or not adhering to the platform specific seo principles whether you are doing that or not and they are available out there most entrepreneurs think of creating the listing on amazon and other e-commerce channels as a very tedious trivial task someone else to do it they, they don't do it themselves but that is the fundamental thing that you should look at rather than building a website because every listing of your product on an e-commerce channels is the website of that particular product and mm-hmm. you have to be the one to create that listing to start with and this is the mistake which i also made i thought these are standard tasks someone else should do it and it took me a couple of months to realize that no this is the most important task and instead of creating social pages or website and stuff like that you should work on creating a great listing for your skb so that is the organic part of thing and coming to inorganic part you have to be well versed with the tools and especially you should start with channel so i would say you should first start with the product channel fit where people if they have just heard that amazon is a great sales channel it might not be a great sales channel for a fashion d2c product so you have mm-hmm. to identify the sku channel fit first and then understand all the inorganic you know performance marketing nuances of it which are all out there it's nothing new so, so it has to be bifurcated in that sense and not creating confusion between search intent brand intent inorganic and organic so this is the way i view it very nice i think especially like inorganic is paid so i mean yes. i suppose people can pay and there'll be ads and it will be easier to see that but the organic one is the important one because most entrepreneurs who listen to this show are bootstrapped and obviously won't have so much money to put into paid so i like the takeaway that essentially look at these as search engines and look at your page or your sku listing as a website or a web page and as long as you take these things in that spirit you will actually start seeing some results over here so, so very think- simple things like on amazon amazon allows you to add up to 20 question and answers on your listing if you want to seo optimize your listing you have to insert everything and anything that the user has asked on your let's say Q&A section and the Q&A section of your competitor so you should look at all your competitor listing see what the consumer questions are and address those in your listing upfront and SEO optimize so these are very simple tactics it's just just takes discipline and effort right and focus and that's a good tip also because this is not even like stuffing keywords kind of thing question and answers are genuine things yes. it's value add to your listing Correct. as well 
really good so thanks a lot i think that was almost like a master class in platforms in like 5 minute so let's take a slightly different angle over here you have a very expansive vision which is to well lengthen human lifespan or make it at least more enriching like a worthwhile human lifespan right. now how did you get when you were first starting out how did you convince people to buy into this kind of a vision because this is it's not saying hey you know join us and we'll make a new social network or something like that which people understand but we are going to make a whole new we're going to elongate lifespan and we're going to make people live healthier people might interpret this as either something very trivial which is oh live healthier means supplements or something just too beyond any one person like elon musk style elongating mm-hmm. lifespan so how did you convince people of this kind of a vision and also get them then to join you so i think a lot of the conviction stems from the personal choices that i've made in my life and most of the people who were a part of the early stage team knew me personally and when in early 2012 and 13 you know when i was going through this personal transformation where i got obsessed with lifespan and health span and things like that i made a lot of changes as far as personal discipline is concerned to what i eat to adopting a minimalistic lifestyle so the, for the past i think now 8 years i have only worn black clothes as a sign of minimalism as, and as a sign of discipline that till the time we are able to achieve you know maximize health span this is what i'm going to do and that shows a personal conviction towards a cause which might seem obscene to certain people and i'm sure a lot of people who hear this that will maximize health span or will enable people to live up to 120 years of age they think it's not going to happen but they think that if the person is so he has such a conviction he'll do at least something right so it's not that he won't be able to do it so i think certain degree of confidence stems from those small act of personal life where that conviction comes out and that discipline comes out and i think that is how it started where our initial discussions were not centered around let's say directly extending human lifespan or health span but around making a lot of people take the first step in this direction with minimal behavior change so people knew that there's a broad vision superimposed on top of the small steps that we are enabling people to take and i think that is why several people even in the early stage didn't have a lot of money to give them but they they decided to stay and put in their all their efforts yeah yeah that's great so tell me about your first few hires like when did they join i know you have some co-founders as well so how did it come about i have also been a part of stanford biodesign it's a one year 18 month long fellowship centered on identifying the right needs within the healthcare space and as a part of that program i used to do a lot of design thinking outreach workshops and incidentally one of the second person the second co-founder aditya said he was attendees of one of those design workshops when yeah. i was quoting certain examples of design thinking he was pretty inspired by this stuff and you know due to his family situation he had to drop out of college so he was very intrigued by the entire i have thought process and he came to me personally after the workshop after i think several days of the workshop where he said that i want to do something in this direction and we connected a lot over how we should create products that require minimal behavior change and things like that and we started experimenting in this space so that's how it came about to be but at that point i hadn't thought of him as a co-founder and we had a very trivial arrangement of sorts where you know i was paying him in personal capacity just as a stipend to do things and we were exploring ideas even the name velvest hadn't been formulated at that point of time and we were just experimenting with brands 
So that's how it came about to be. And my second co-founder, Ripunjay, he was my colleague at the Stanford Biodesign program. But he came into the picture a lot late when things had stabilized a little. I would say nine months to 12 months into the operation of Elvest. That's how we reconnected. And he was trying to do his own D2C brand similar to Badham Tees. And that's how he came to me that I'm trying to build my own brand. And then we thought, why not do something together? So early hires, I won't say they were hires per se because we didn't have that much capital. It was me paying them in personal capacity uh, for the first six months. And then we had an angel investor who put in 25 lakh rupees because he had started consuming our products and he was very fascinated by what we were doing. And that's how we formally structurized the company. You know, there's a, obviously with most businesses, uh, the business starts and then you hire some people and some of them obviously turn out to be extremely motivated, evangelizing, like they're all about the company. But obviously, in most companies, such people don't get elevated to co-founder status or anything like that. So how did you think about this whole situation? Like what was the rationale behind elevating a couple of people uh, to becoming co-founders? And how should maybe other business owners also maybe consider how they're looking at their people? So there are two to three different aspects of this, right? One is at any given point of time, you know, in life, you cannot operate mechanically. You cannot have all the options presented to you upfront and then make the best possible decision, right? So every decision has to be made within a limited set of choices in that time frame. So one was that, that you have to decide which people would put all their skin in the game and help to take this company to the next level. And those, those are the people who will stick for long and who, who should be the co-founders. It's not that I can go out town, uh, interview, let's say thousands of people and then decide who the co-founder should be. So a lot of it is situationally governed as well. But then I think second thought, the second decision-making process is that whether you bond over things that matter or not. What we really connected and what we really synchronize with is the fact that we have to create a company where people would want to work. So obviously the strategic vision is to maximize human wellness and that stems a lot from my personal quest. I won't say that the other two co-founders are as psyched about maximizing human wellness as I am. That is the strategic vision of the company. But on a day-to-day -day level, what matters more is creating a company where people would want to give in their 100%. And that is what we synchronized over. And that is the point where I decided that you can have, let's say, the best of the best people, but not synchronize over things that actually matter. And partnerships which actually work are the ones who solve these core issues. Okay, so I think that makes sense. Essentially, you need to have as your co-founders, people who are going to actually move the business forward and more importantly, share the same vision and the same ethos at least in some way. So it's just like being in a marriage, right? So marriage is not a glamorous process. Everyone who has been married knows that. So eventually it boils down to whether the basic tenets have been met or not. And the basic, both the partners are synchronizing on basic tenets or not. So I think that is where my conviction stems from. So kind of again, changing tack a little bit. So talking a little bit about competition. So you mentioned earlier that you're similar, actually you are, you're a D2C brand ag aggregator or accelerator where you're bringing so many brands under the same roof and yours is a little different approach where the entrepreneur continues to run their brand and so on. But many of the people that are in the D2C space are extremely well funded. I mean, they're not angel level funded for sure. They're, you know, like series C, series D level funded companies. So 
are there situations where you actually go where you compete with them directly on any of your portfolio of brands and if so how do you actually win that particular setup situation because they obviously have unlimited money to promote their brands so typically the mindset and modus operandi of all of these e-commerce aggregator players is very very different so one that they do not acquire or promote brands that are centered around a common ethos so their deciding criteria is what is the top line revenue of a brand and it has to be more than 70 to 80 lakhs per month one second it's only about the ebitda revenues at uh, the moment at present and on the surface our model is similar to all these aggregators but we come into the picture a lot early where the brand is only doing let's say 5 lakh rupees a month of sales and we resolve their basic operational issues we do the structural engineering for them so rather than looking at these people as competitors we also view them as end point for certain acquisitions which they can do from our portfolio so we don't look at them particularly as competitors because they don't come into the stage as early but who would be a closer competitor would be players like let's say even flow who are coming in earlier to the picture or you know other excellence like this but then again our ethos is very very different so we for example we would never go and accelerate a brand which is selling let's say sugar for right, or right. or a brand of sugar so things like that so i think in that in those two senses we are very very different from them and we are very glad that i think we we need more players like tasio and perch and celerex because they will eventually become acquirers for models like ours so let's say we have scaled a brand to 1 cr per month kind of a revenue and we feel that in the longer lifespan extension game this brand might not be the best and we would want to sell off our stake so we will sell it off to tasio and players like this yeah this is a good point i mean you are essentially playing a role in the let's say in the mid market So therefore, what might seem on the surface to be a competitor actually could end up being an acquirer or a partner in future. Right. So that's a interesting insight. So, the last four years or so that you've been running this, what are some of the challenges or the trade-offs that you've had to make or you've had to think about while you were running this business? I think ethos is one of the things. Sounds like is a common factor over here. But is there anything else? so i think we are super obsessed about the culture that we are building at the company and i am sure that all entrepreneurs take it very seriously but we take it a step ahead in the sense that the three founders are 100% alignment is on the kind of company that we are creating what happens on a day to day basis so we align on very practical things where we don't want to incentivize or we don't want to drive people with far fetched distant dreams that one day this will happen we want to drive them with what happens with them on a day to day basis and that eventually translates into creating a company that people want to work at that they enjoy working at on a day to day basis and that cultural connotation of the kind of people that we let in our process of hiring is so stringent that all our employees right now we have around 120 employees and obviously like 30 to 35 of these are blue collar workers but apart from them all employees are trained in the interview process a stage which we call as the culture fit so we have a synchronized interviewing process for detecting which person is culture fit or not and that is how we culturally drive the ethos of creating a company that that people would want to show up at every day and i have heard a lot of companies who have been struggling to get their employees back to office after the covid lockdown and things like that 
but since we fall in the essential space we haven't even have one day where we operated remotely or all our employees have been working from office we have had more than 80% attendance and all this without mandating anything to anyone we don't tell our employees that you you need to come to office we don't even have a culture where an employee has to ask their manager that i want to be on leave or i want to be on work from home it's totally their ethical choice how they want to work and they just have to meet their output metrics and things so this is how we are driving this this is what we align with to create a company where you want to show up on a daily basis because we feel that if you are spending 12 hours a day or let's say 10 hours a day at work you are spending most of your life at your work and that needs to be something that is enjoyable and that can translate to an important component of wellness which is the wellness yeah i mean that's walking the talk right if you're a wellness company you have to make sure that your folks feel happy and supported and genuinely excited about coming to work Correct. so i like this focus on or rather let's call it extreme focus maybe on making sure that people are a culture fit and that the way that the company operates is something that the person is going to appreciate when they join maybe last couple of questions here one is speaking of this whole wellness and the desire to come to work what keeps you motivated and desirous of coming to work every day so i have written extensively on this and i like to differentiate between motivation and satisfaction right and this is a similar kind of a distinction you can make between pleasure and joy so pleasure arises out of very short term immediate thing so you eat sugar you will feel pleasure or you will feel happiness you eat unhealthy stuff you will feel pleasure in the moment but eventually it will truncate into decrease in general joy that you feel in life at the back of your head you are doing something wrong or you are not operating in the way that you are supposed to do and this is the way i think about motivation versus satisfaction so satisfaction is kind of built day by day by doing certain stuff on a daily basis so discipline has a huge role to play i'm not saying that everyone has they feel that if, if i got some motivation it would be a better day but i think it's about building this muscle of discipline that eventually drives long term satisfaction and after you know certain years of practice what starts happening is that because if you have been in discipline for let's say more than 30 days you have that sense of satisfaction so even if you do it one day you will know that building towards something and you will start feeling that pleasure in that discipline as well so it takes certain time to get past that phase where discipline seems boring and things like that but eventually you come to a point where that you're building towards a long term joy kind of a state so this is how i operate but obviously on a day to day basis you have to have anchors that will pull you up when you're feeling down and working with people you want to work with is obviously one of the best ways to overcome that lack of uh, motivation that you're feeling in the moment and this is where that extreme focus on culture again comes in that you want to be surrounded by people that you really want to be with so it's a two part strategy right obviously building the discipline muscle and no great thing has been built without discipline and without embracing boredom that is obviously there but then taking practical steps where you are stocking the kind of food which is not unhealthy and you also enjoy eating at your office and you are surrounded by people that you like working with and things like that that's so a lot of practical steps there that's actually one of the more original answers that i've heard to this question which is <laughs> essentially one needs to differentiate between what is a fleeting a happiness or or something like that versus longer term satisfaction and joy longer term satisfaction is made by building things brick by brick which you need to have discipline to do that and so 
as long as you can embrace that discipline and in fact like what you said embrace the boredom almost of doing this day in and day out you will build something that you're proud of and satisfied by and the journey becomes obviously easier if you're doing it with people that you like and that's where you've set up an environment culturally integrated people who you are love to work with this is really nice i think this is a nice way of looking at things also because often we think about oh my god if i'm not feeling absolutely ecstatic on a certain day is my business worth it is my job worth it am i doing the right thing but fact is you will probably be doing the right thing if you just keep at it and you build something mm-hmm. meaningful out of that right so this is really nice i think it's a good way of looking at things overall not just in business so maybe let me end by asking you a question about your learnings or your lessons so far so what might you have done differently or what advice would you have to emerging entrepreneurs who might want to follow in your footsteps i think i would just like to say one thing and obviously like there are a lot of learnings in an entrepreneur's life and i have been now in the game for the last i don't know 12 15 years so a lot of learnings there but i think fundamentally if anyone wants to do great things they shouldn't focus on everything at once and i think people talk a lot about time management but i think time management is nothing it's only focus management that is the problem typically what happens is that people are either in two phase whether they are indisciplined they are not focusing on anything or they are totally disciplined where they are trying to do everything at once and that stage of discipline lasts for only a few days and then it fizzles out because you're trying to do so many things at once so if you narrow down your focus to just one thing then you can have a healthy balance between let's say pleasures which are not being able to quit but then also being able to focus on something that you're building in the long term just one thing and the mistake i have made as an entrepreneur and as a person is trying to focus on a lot of things at the same time in my earlier years so let's say if you have decided to become an avid reader at this stage and you are just let's say 17 18 years old right now so just focus on reading a lot of books and don't try to say that i'll also listen to a lot of podcasts i'll also listen to a lot of youtube videos because i have to become the most learned person just select one thing and focus on that and become the master of that first and you will realize that how much your life can change just within 6 months within 6 months your self esteem will get boosted because you won't think of yourself as a person who is reading books but you will think of yourself as a person who is a reader and that will trickle down in all aspects of your life that confidence will change everything that you so this is what my one suggestion would be yeah this is really nice very philosophical anand i didn't expect a business conversation to end up with this much philosophy but basically you're saying that there's a bunch of people who are not focusing on anything at all they're just doing whatever they feel like whenever they feel like that's one category already but people who feel like they're focusing could be focusing on too many things it's like this task list and i'm checking off checking off checking off i feel very happy that i've checked off everything but then next day again i have a task list and you keep doing that and as a result you've just dissipated all of your efforts versus you're saying just do one thing and when you do that one thing over and over again until you become good at it then your own perception of yourself changes i think that example is very good which is to go from i am reading books to i am a reader is very different because to say i am a reader means that you're naturally that and which means right. now you can build on that thing to become something else versus i'm reading books will just go on forever and you'll just keep on reading books that's really cool i think a very nice way to kind of close out this conversation yeah. so since you've mentioned so many cool things let me just summarize actually i wrote down quite a few so let me summarize them one is i think 
we started out by saying that even if you have a massive vision something that maybe even is generally unbelievable kind of a vision you can still do it if you start simple you have to start somewhere where you can actually start but you can have a vision which is world beating or flying to mars and colonizing there and like elon musk's vision and so on so you can have that but you need to start with something achievable the second thing which i took away was you don't even have to have your own thing to build a business you can actually build a business for offering a platform to others now of course the way that we think of platforms is the amazons and whatevers of the world but it could be a platform of services or a platform of expertise that you're offering to someone else which helps them become successful quicker and by doing that you can actually build this it's like a decentralized conglomerate of yeah. some kind which is a interesting way of building a business and i know we've been talking about it in the in the d2c construct but maybe the same logic can be applied to other things as well third one which is a very big point at least for me was not forcing behavior change so if you can play into the existing behavior then you are likely to be very successful versus trying to force people to adopt the behavior that you want them and again your example there was very good which is not to say don't have bread instead say here is how you can have bread and maybe it's the keto flour bread or maybe it is having less of the bread or whatever but you can still have it and that will at least keep you happy versus saying don't have it at all a fourth point was the whole minimum viable product this is a topic that's far more prevalent in tech but essentially you're demonstrating that it can apply to anything that you set out to do just get your product to market and the market will tell you if the product works or not and everything else is ancillary and you can build all of that once you know the product is working another takeaway for me was that just because something doesn't exist in a developed market like your keto flour or ultra low carb flour doesn't mean that it shouldn't exist at all and so the fact that in india because everything is carb heavy and it's not just india there are a few markets in asia where which are more carb heavy this kind of product would work is just that in the us where all of this keto movement started it's not a thing and so it never existed before next point was around data so a bit of a tech industry sort of thought process which is use all the data that you have if some platform gives you more data consume as much of it as you can and as a focus look at purchases obviously because purchases show you that there is some need for the product in the market but then more importantly the repeat rate which shows that your product is the one that's fitting the need best and that was a really simple way of looking at it which is purchase means there's a need repeat means that your product is filling the need best which is perfect probably want to start off on platforms and if you're doing that then treat a platform similar to how you would treat google or a search engine people are coming there with intent so don't go there with your grand vision and brand positioning just go there with will this search lead to my product or not and once it leads there will it convert the person to a sale or not which means just treat it as a website and search optimize and you gave a lot of very good tips like look at it as seo think of the sku to channel fit like maybe amazon is good for this kind of product snapdeal is good for that kind of product plan your product for the channel and then the question and answers angle is a really good one which is gives you search optimization and it adds value to your page the other one was around people so you can actually attract people to your vision not just by declaring the vision but by living it so if you through your personal choices are demonstrating that you're walking the walk then people will gravitate towards you and some of those people actually could become well co-founders in your case 
actually you also did mention that some of them were consumers who then became investors which is really perfect you want your best customers to also be invested in your product so you can attract people just through your vision and by living that vision every day some other points we talked about were trade offs so in your case you're working heavily on the culture and you're willing to give up on maybe otherwise suitable candidates if they don't feel like they're going to fit in with your culture and because you work only with people who are nicely integrated with each other and gel with each other it makes the work experience so much nicer which also means that this entire pandemic period and stuff people were okay they were happy to come to work and stuff which let's face it not every company was able to make it happen so easily finally you ended with a couple of i would say more philosophical points which i really like one is the distinction between delight versus satisfaction or motivation versus satisfaction motivation and delight and pleasure are fleeting and yes you'll get it by you know doing things and those things may not even be good for you but you'll get it but it'll disappear very quickly versus satisfaction which is a long term thing and you build it through discipline so you don't need to feel continuously motivated or pumped you just need to feel the need to come to office or do whatever it is you're doing day in and day out and that will build something that you're proud of and which will last like that pride and that satisfaction will last for a lifetime versus for the few minutes that you're feeling excited so embrace consistency and embrace boredom that's actually quite a cool way of looking at it and the last point was around focus management versus time management so you can be the best time manager in the world and check off all your lists but you'd still be very unfocused because you're just doing too many different things instead focus on doing just one thing and do it well and when you do that it'll become part of you which means you've developed as a person and then you can move on to move doing the next one thing very well and that's how you become a better version of you versus being completely scattered all over the place trying to do everything at the same time thanks a lot anna this was a really fun conversation for me and really appreciate you joining us today thanks for uh, having me amit actually this summary i also learned a lot <laughs> after you <laughs> summarized it in this manner So that was really great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot man. I mean it was a fun conversation. And for those listening, I really hope you took away a lot of interesting insights just like I did today. And if you did, then do remember to rate this episode 5 star. And by the way, if you missed something, we did discuss a lot of interesting stuff. Do head over to crazytalk.online. We'll have the entire transcript over there and you'll also have the opportunity to join our newsletter or our community where we have a summaries of all of our episodes. and that's the best way i think to get distilled insights from all of these cool people that we're talking to on shop talk and frankly all of our other shows as well it's information that you aren't going to get anywhere else so thank you for listening we were anand and amit with shop talk see you next time